available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. We're the USC site on that same 24-7 Sports Network. And together we make the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football we had a fun show for you last week a lot of off-topic stuff we got more on-topic stuff this week we've got an update from all of the publishers across the network here 24 7 sports network for the pac-12 to get an update on where every program is in the pac-12 with these voluntary off-season workouts so we'll get you up to date on what all the schools are doing still seems to be slowly progressing here in the pac-12 as we see lots of uh Weird cases and things popping up across the country. We'll talk about all that, too. Uh, David and I will do that. But before we get into all that, I just want to let you know how to contact us. The email address, you can send us an email, anything you want, anything you want to talk about. pac podcast at gmail.com. Or if you'd rather call or text us, the number is 424-532-0678. Uh, we've been pretty active on the Twitters lately, at Pac-12Podcast. And our website with all the old shows, Pac-12Podcast.com. And as always, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, especially anywhere you get your podcast, subscribe there. But on Apple Podcasts, you can rate us, positive ratings, five stars, as we always suggest. And uh, any kind of review can be negative, something funny. You guys have said a lot of funny things. We appreciate that. And you can also find us on Reddit, Podcast of Champions. Uh, David, I didn't look this week. Do we have any new, uh, any reviews on the uh, Apple Podcasts? We do. We have three, and everyone followed the rules. They all rated us five stars. Do I know nice. the contents of these reviews? No. I would... Can I assume that they're mostly insulting? Yes. So here we go. Uh, this is a five-star review from Mon Bubes. I'm guessing this is a play on man boobs, would be my oh. guess. Anyway, awesome podcast. Awesome podcast if you're looking to see things through the tainted, smog-tinged sunglasses of Southern California. Come bask in the warm sun and deepest blue political views that the Pacific has to offer. If you are looking for tangential conversation that periodically touches on football briefly before zooming away to provide the essentials, such as <laughs> unlicensed medical advice, bedroom <laughs> advice, and above all else, how UCLA and USC are somehow superior to the rest of the conference, then this is your podcast. I love listening to this podcast while I'm on the toilet as it covers up the smell coming from my phone. <laughs> Episodes are short enough to listen to during a one-way trip in L.A. traffic, a short one and a half to two hours per episode. These guys know football. I'm guessing, given everything that preceded it, that final sentence is a um, tongue-in-cheek non sequitur. Maybe a little. Uh, but, yeah. you know, to be fair, I would not be on the blue side of things. So, you know, I know I'm in a blue state. That's not necessarily my, you know, beliefs. But, you know, just to, we try to keep a little balanced here. We don't talk about it much, but, you know. You might know that. <laughs> certainly, people. certainly, we don't we don't talk about it much. Um, <laughs> this is from uh, 
Rotness. Sure. Uh, Expectorant Larryland. Uh, it's so nice to have a podcast that helps its listeners settle their dyspepsia when the conference playoff favorite inevitably sits on its huevos by mid-September. Dave and Ryan spit venom and bile with such a playful warmth that you might, at times, mistake it for support. Don't be fooled, people. In the four years prior to the POC, the Pac-12 averaged 87.25 wins per year against 67.75 losses. In the five years since, 84 points, in the five years since, 84.6 wins against 69.4 losses. Dave lives in Atlanta. Ryan is married to a Tennessee alum. Need I say more? The POC <laughs> is a precisely engineered bit of SEC long con subterfuge. Revolt! But keep listening because it's a jocund little jaunt every week. All that, right. That is brilliant. I that love was great. It. That was a great yeah. one. Uh, here's a Two short really good tweet. ones. Two really good ones, though. Yeah. Here's a short but sweet one to round them out. Uh, Desert Fox 1962. The Morel Presley of five star podcasts. LPT, listen at 1.5x or 2x to make it end faster. <laughs> wow. That's so good. So good. We appreciate it. Right. Well, thank all you, everybody. We really appreciate you. Yeah, those are those are awesome. Like, yes, be critical of us, but leave us five stars. Uh, that is awesome. So thank you for all of that. Um, so I think we, we were talking before we started the show, Dave, that we both, you know, and you were pretty pessimistic early on. And I think you kind of, I was pretty optimistic. I got more optimistic the last few weeks. And even you came around being a little more optimistic. I think both of us have turned, you know, sort of trending down towards the pessimistic side, seeing, you know, 23 Clemson players uh, test positive, seeing Houston shutting down uh, their offseason workouts, seeing Kansas State get a whole bunch of guys to like go out to a bar or something, come back, get other people sick. I think they had like 14 or something sick, and then they have to shut down their workouts for two weeks. And uh, LSU, I think 30 guys were in quarantine and because some of those guys went out to, to bars it's uh this isn't the nba this isn't a bubble these are college-age kids and they're going to do college-age kids things they're not getting paid to do this i mean they're just you know that you can't control everything and right now people think oh they're practicing they're not going out having a full team practice these are limited groups uh on campus you know in smaller groups that they will work out together and do things. It's not like they're practicing full team. And we are getting a bunch of cases in different parts of the country. How do you, I mean, I think uh, Sean McVay said it best when he, they were, I think it was the, the uh, post, the press conference for the uh, hard knock stuff. And he was sort of like, we're playing football. How are you going to be socially distant? Which I get, like, if you're playing football, you're not socially distant and you're not going to be quarantined. Um, I, I don't know, man. It's, I'm getting a, a it's scaring me, but I'm getting more pessimistic that we're going to get a season to start on time now. Yeah, I think the I think we'd all kind of um, uh, started to have a conversation about the conversation more. Like, oh, things seem to be shifting nationally. Like, it seems like the states are opening up. Um, people want to do it, all that kind of stuff. And now, when the rubber is meeting the road. Uh, to steal a very old and, and bad phrase, um, it, the logistics of the whole thing are becoming so obviously difficult to deal with. Um, first and foremost, as you pointed out, you're dealing with college-age kids. Like, your brain isn't fully formed until you're 25. You're stupid. Everyone's stupid. Everyone before the age of 25 is dumb. 
and you're making bad choices. So just full stop, they're going to be making less careful decisions. Um, second, uh, you've got these testing protocols, which first, the tests still aren't perfect. And second, they take a while to get back. Um, it's not going to be daily testing for most of these places. Um, I think virtually all of them, which is something that we were talking about when we were first envisioning the way this would have to work. You would need near daily testing or something like that because you're going to have situations like what happened with Clemson where they went from, I think it was two tests positive one week to 28 the next week, something like that. Yeah, I think it was 23, but yeah. And it's just, uh, you you look at like just the scale of things that are kind of just happening in all these different locations and it's, it's daunting. I think what will have to happen for a season to start on time, and I, it still might, is um, basically a relaxing of the standards, um, which I don't know that that's a good idea. Um, I, I think it's probably not. But right now, I know UCLA's protocol, and we'll get into the protocols for all the different schools, but I know for UCLA, the positive test is going to then indicate a minimum of, I think, a 14-day quarantine for the positive player, even if they are, I think, asymptomatic. Um Unless they relax that, I have a hard time seeing how seasons are going to happen if guys are just getting ill at this rate. If they're getting it at, you know, a new 10 of them every single week or whatever, or a new five of them, or however many in the athletic program throughout the summer and then into the fall, you can't have a season if guys are just dropping like that on top of all of the other things that happen, especially in football. Um, it's just you're not going to have the bodies. And yeah, that's and that's without considering any potentially serious com, uh, consequences of the illness itself. That's just the logistics of handling quarantine. Um, but if if somebody if if multiple people actually get seriously ill, if they develop lung issues, or if God forbid somebody dies, yeah, I, I, there's just a lot of complicating factors that I don't think we've all collectively worked through in any real way. You're right, and I you know I talked to. Um you know, someone that covers college football and their thought was, I mean, this was, you know, off the record stuff, but their thought was like, it's probably better for to everyone to just get it. And then you'll be fine by the season. But it's like, they weren't even considering, well, some of these players might die. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not, it's not the chicken. We have that chicken pox theory and everything. And maybe that's what some of these coaches are doing. They don't, they're not as concerned about players getting it right now as they would be uh, later on, but there's, you know, legit concerns that this could be, if it doesn't, you know, kill or, or maybe seriously hurt, or, you know, it could impact the player's health for the rest of their lives. There's also the coaches and trainers and people that are older around them and, you know, something could happen to them too. So it, yeah, it's a really weird, it, I, it's like, I'm, I'm almost thinking that the best chance to have college football would be some kind of herd uh, immunity where a lot of players are getting it and they're fine. You know, you, God forbid anything bad happens to them, but they end up being fine. But that because they had so many people kind of get it during these early workouts that for the most part, they're safe when the season comes around. It's like, I don't know if I'm crazy thinking that, but it, it's, it seems like that might be the, the you know, the best way we, the, the only way we get college football, who knows? I think if you, if you work from your priority of getting college football back and work backward from that, I think that's the only way it works. I, I have a problem with that, though, because if you're looking at the statistical likelihood, no, it's not statistically likely that any one athlete is going to get seriously ill to the point of death from this, right? Any single one, it's very, very unlikely. 
But if you start talking about mass scale, where, okay, we're going to try to introduce it into these communities so these people can all get it and get immunity, at that scale, somebody is. Because there's just, you're playing the odds. Um, And how many times has a player on USC over the years you've been covering it, oh, he had to go get surgery for a mysterious heart condition that he didn't know about until he arrived at school for his physical? Um, You know, how many times has something like that happened? Where a guy, oh, wow, they had something that was an underlying condition that they had no idea about. Yeah. Um, And you, you find that because, I mean... A lot of these kids, they come in from backgrounds where they weren't getting routine medical checks or certainly not at the extent that the universities are giving it to them when they arrive. Um, and there's just a lot of uncertainty about that. I think it would be foolish to assume that all of the people in all of college football, including all these offensive and defensive linemen, um, don't have underlying conditions that would make this potentially more severe for them. Um, and yes, they're all young and the statistical likelihood of any young person dying or getting seriously ill from this seems to be low, but first we don't know long-term ramifications. Um, they found that even in some asymptomatic people, there are lung issues that are still present in scans like months after they had it. And two, um, you know, some of them still will, if you're talking about thousands upon thousands of people getting it, um, so all that said, uh, I, I, I do think uh, I think they're they're going to face a challenge. I think college kids in an environment might naturally try to achieve herd immunity because they can't keep away from each other. Um, so it might happen naturally, but I think encouraging it or stimulating it on a uh, collegiate level would be, would be a mistake. Just because I think anytime you're going to introduce that level of risk, you're um, potentially doing more harm than good. Yeah, I mean, I, I just off the top of my head, like Frankie Telfort was a linebacker from, like highly ranked linebacker out of uh, Florida. And I think it was some kind of like, it was like a heart murmur or something along those lines. And he basically had to medically retire. I think Eric Armstead was another one. Um, there there was a bunch of guys, or no, Armand Armstead. Eric wasn't, he played at Oregon. Um, there was just guys that, yeah, they you find out they have these uh, conditions and you just don't know. And it may be that, you know, someone gets, you know, all of his teammates get it and they're all asymptomatic, whatever. And then the one guy that has this condition you don't know about has a serious, you know, health effects from it could pass away or have long-term impact. Uh, it was really unfortunate over the weekend, uh, former, uh, USC offensive lineman, Max Turek was just hiking in, uh, his favorite trails with his family and he passed away. We don't know. It was probably some kind of heart condition. We don't know exactly what it was at this point, but um, yeah, I mean, stuff like that. So what if he was still on campus and he did, you know, he didn't know about this heart condition he had and he gets COVID and, you know, so who knows? It's, it's just really, it's sad and unfortunate. You don't want to see people like, yeah, you know, doing this kind of stuff, but man, I, I, I don't know. But I think you're right. I mean, I think, I, I, I think so first, I don't think they're going to do that, especially they might do it. I mean, at certain universities, it might happen. Like I would anticipate at some SEC schools, it's just going to happen like that. Like, oh, wow, huh? 70 guys got it in July and now they're all fine. OK, um, but I would say the vast majority of schools probably won't do that. Um, and I think we should all wrap our heads around whatever. And I think we've all kind of geared ourselves up for this, but maybe we got a little hopeful in the last month. Whatever form this football season takes. And I still I don't know. I could go either way on whether it takes any form at all or if it just gets canceled again. I think I'm going to say it's there's at least something that happens that's 
called a football season, it's going to be weird. There's going to be canceled games. There's going to be weird stuff that happens. There's going to be forfeits the day of because 10 guys got sick and they can't feel the depth chart. Like that stuff's going to happen. And it's going to be a really, really weird year. Um, And hopefully it doesn't include um, some truly tragic outcomes. Um, But I think it's I, I I'm having a hard time seeing a completely normal college football season. Yeah, there's uh, I I don't know. I don't know how it's going to be normal. It just doesn't seem like that's going to be. Uh, it doesn't seem like that's going to be a possibility, which sucks. But um, that's kind of where we are. Um, yeah, man. Well, all right. So sorry, we don't want to bring everybody down. Um, but the uh, yeah, we're for me be more pessimistic, Dave. That's something. You know, you were always the one like, "Eh, never going to happen." Um, but now it's like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it doesn't. Well, I, so the good thing is, though, that they're, we're not seeing any kind of major, you know, cases or anything uh, in the Pac-12 from what we know. Uh, the Pac-12 was a little later to start. Uh, June 15th was the first day. And what we wanted to do was kind of go through each program and see where everyone is. I think as of last week, the rest of the Pac-12 outside of the California schools had their plan in place to be back or were back, and the California schools were not. We have kind of an update there uh, on what's going on. So we'll go over um, each program, and uh, you know, we'll start with the Pac-12 North. So I asked uh, a series of questions to the different publishers. That not all of them were answered. Not all of them could be answered. But basically, are the players back for voluntary workouts? Um, you know, when did they come back? Uh, how about the pods that they're playing in any information about that? Cause I know different, there's different sizes of, you know, depending on local restrictions, um, you know, any positive cases and any other kind of newsy stuff coming out. So I don't mean we could just take every other one or something, but I'll start with Washington. So, uh, I asked Chris Fetters, he said, players started to show up last Monday to check in and go through the battery of tests required before being able to work out at the Washington facility. So they should be able to return this week after self-isolating. The newcomers have started to show up as of yesterday, so as of Sunday, we're recording this on Monday, to go through the same protocol. And their pods are a different size because King County guidelines for phase two of the state's four-phase safe start plan, non-professional sporting activities are generally limited to groups of five participants or less for team sports uh, that can mean meaning uh, limiting uh, to groups of five in separate parts of the field if separated by a buffer zone. So even though the Pac-12 said like zone, you know, pods of 10, uh, King County is only allowing five. So that's what Washington's doing. They haven't had any positive cases reported yet. And they're hopefully, they said, hopefully returning players will be able to start to work out this week. Per one of the team physicians, half of the Washington workout equipment has been set up in the Husky Stadium concourses to allow them to work out in a sheltered but, quote, open-air environment. And they will be doing uh, their own conditioning work on the field at Husky Stadium. So that's sort of where Washington's at right now. Okay. All right. Uh, so for Washington State, should I do that one? Yeah, hold on. Talk Let me do this real quick. Washington Huskies. <laughs> nice. And now for you. Washington State Cougars. <laughs> This makes me very sad because we're we're like this is this should be like previewing stuff and instead yeah. we're talking about COVID plans. This sucks. <laughs> it sucks so bad. 
All right, Washington State. Uh, players are back on campus and began voluntary workouts June 15th. Unknown if all, are, if all the players are back. The groups are being limited to five. No positive tests reported so far. Weights were brought outside onto practice field in order to do as much as possible outdoors. So similar stuff to Washington, I guess. I'm, you know, I know uh, Chris Fetter said King County, but it sounds like that's probably a, a, a Washington State thing about the the five person limits. Right. Yeah, I think that's probably a Washington State, Washington thing. Um, and I know the pods in different states are going to be different. Yeah. Uh, all right. That's basically because I knew Washington had a smaller pod. That's basically why I put that question in there. Just if there was other ones uh, that had like the smaller pods. Next up, Oregon Ducks. How big is your pod? (laughs) Probably bigger than it should be, but. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I'm still doing, see, I'm still doing a lot of stuff, you know, I'm still, but I'm trying to do socially distant stuff, hiking, golf. Uh, Probably the worst thing I do is I do play beach volleyball with like a group of like 10 people sometimes. Uh, which we're not allowed to really do, but people are bringing their own nets. But like for me, you're out in the sun, it's outside. It's pretty, so you're not like touching hands or anything. So it's pretty socially distant, but um, I don't know. I, I like, if you're working out outside, I think you're doing all right. As long as you're not like huddled up in some group, it's just my opinion, but maybe I'm a, maybe I'm an idiot. Not maybe. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So for Oregon, uh, they had a good number of players stay in Eugene that started working out on the 15th of June. A number of the players are uh, trickling in to town right now, including the 2020 signees. That's been, I think, a common thing where the signees have come in a little bit later. Uh, so over the past month, uh, so, so the players returned, started to return over the past month, but June 15th was the first day that they could go into the facilities in the smaller groups. Um, Oregon Athletic Director Rob Mullins has said that the groups will be 10 to 11 players with one strength coach each. And I'm not sure about that. I, I Talking to, I think it was someone I talked to at USC where they were going to do like eight players when they finally come back, groups of eight with maybe a strength coach and a trainer involved, where Oregon might interpret it looks like they could have 10 players with a strength coach involved. So I'm not sure how that actually works. Um, And they have not reported any uh, positive cases yet. All right. And next up we have Oregon State Beavers. All right. So, uh, yes, the players are back on campus and have begun voluntary workouts. Many veteran players began returning to Corvallis in early June with a report date set for June 15th. Last Monday, when the players returned, they went over protocols and all were given a COVID-19 test. Upon the results coming back negative, they began working out last Thursday. Um, The players are uh, grouped in pods of 10 players, typically in the same position group. Those 10 are limited to one-hour time slots in the training facility. They enter the locker room through one door and exit through a second. Lockers have been spaced so that there are at least two lockers between each player at all times. Only one pod is allowed to enter the locker room at a time. They change and leave, and then the area is sanitized and another pod will enter. The pod groupings allow for groups to stick together for in-person meetings. The expanded training facility is able to hold two pods at a time on opposite sides of the building. Players will have their temperatures checked upon entering and will wear a mask while doing lifting activities. Outside conditioning activities will not require a mask. Uh, no, uh, no positive cases they've heard of so far. And then, um, veterans were just able to start their workouts on Thursday as the test results began tripling in. Nice. Uh, so good info there from Angie, a lot of detail. I'm curious, Dave, I know if you've heard, like, does an LSU or a Clemson, are they going through these kind of 
uh, more stringent procedures. Do you have, I haven't heard too much. I don't know. I haven't been paying, I haven't been paying a ton of, ton of attention. I know obviously Houston had not great procedures. I think most, most schools in the, in the, in the power five are following similar things. Um, at least from what I can glean, the fact that we're getting test results, um, I'm not seeing too many Pac-12 schools reporting positive tests, though, where that has right. been a thing for various um, other schools. Yeah, you thought that maybe when they would arrive, they would test positive just because they had it. They didn't know it. Um, I, you know, the Pac-12 will be doing the antibody test, so be curious to see how many players got back to campus and they had already had it before at some point. So um, all that interesting stuff. All right, next up. California Golden Bears. <laughs> So some players are on campus for Cal for voluntary workouts, but they have not started yet. Uh, those who are on campus are currently in a seven-day quarantine period. That was a common theme, too, I think, when a lot of players would return. They would be in some kind of quarantine. Cal did announce Wednesday that uh, football student-athletes were welcome to campus effective immediately. Uh, many of them arrived over the weekend. Workout groups will be limited to 10 participants for now. Those specifics were not provided. And players are currently going through a quarantine period and testing for antibodies and active COVID-19 with no results in yet. All right. All right. And then uh, this this one. So there's part of the statement just came from Stanford and the other parts from our buddy RJ from Stanford Cardinal. All right. He said, uh, I reached out to Stanford as soon as I got it. They haven't responded yet. Um, he's going to send it to us when he gets it. Um, he can confirm that there are players who have returned and have been doing some field work. And it's his understanding that most of them are re- players rehabbing from injuries, but no names have been confirmed. And then the statement is as follows from Stanford. The return to play plan for voluntary activities is open to student athletes of any sport, provided they have been authorized to engage properly screened by the sports medicine team and experienced no known COVID-19 contact for 7 to 14 days prior to their return to campus. There will be a re-entry protocol customized to each student-athlete. Housing and meals during this period are the responsibility of the student-athletes participating in voluntary activity as campus residences remain closed to undergraduate students. So the confusing part here, Dave, was uh, as of this was last week when Stanford let up, you know, set out the statement. That was just part of the statement, but that's I just grabbed the most interesting part to me. And from the begin, from when it was sent out, you're like, oh, Stanford players are back. Then you read this. Well, the residents aren't open. They're not back. Like they they can be or they're, it's basically saying they can be around campus, um, and you got to follow these protocols and stuff. But it's not like they're having their workout. So really, to me, Stanford's not back yet. But they're you know if you if you if you have your own place somewhere and you want to be around you can be but this isn't some kind of organized like hey we're bringing everybody back so i to me maybe it was just me the way i was reading it i thought that's what stanford was saying they're bringing everyone back but they were just kind of allowing it but they're not going to do it in an organized way right yeah i think that's right yeah so very it was so to to be fair stanford's not having their workouts yet there's no pods there's nothing like that so but rj's been kind of in contact with them uh trying to figure it out so they're one of, from what I believe, two teams that really aren't having these workouts yet. The other one is USC Trojans. So they had a Zoom meeting with uh, a lot of the parents, kind of outlying uh, a lot of the same structures that we've, like what Angie was talking about with with Oregon State. But there's no um, there's no date of when these players are are coming back. 
Uh, I did talk to a guy like Talanoa Hufunga who was around because he's rehabbing. So it's a similar thing to what Stanford was doing. He was still living in his off-campus apartment. He can come in and do work because he's doing you know rehab. He had shoulder surgery, um, so he's rehabbing that. Uh, but for right now, they're you know it, there's not they're not back, um, and they haven't announced when they will be. I did reach out to a member of the athletic department, and what I got was we are determined to do this the right way and learn from others' experiences. So um, doesn't seem like they're in a big hurry to uh, to bring guys back. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, you know, curious to see, I mean, they're, they're opening with Alabama and Alabama has been back for a while. Um, so, but right now there's no, you know, we know that there is like a plan behind the scenes. We know that they were working with, you know, the LA County, uh, you know, government. Um, I thought by now we would have had some kind of announcement like here, here's when players are coming back. Uh, but we, as of now, uh, there isn't, there hasn't been any kind of announcement, but we, you know, we have seen the plan. We've seen what they've presented to the players' parents. And it was a lot of similar stuff, like here's what you can do, here's what you can't do, things like that. Here's where you wear a mask. Uh, but they haven't said, hey, we're coming back this date. Got it. And now uh, we get to hear from UCLA Bruins. All right, so UCLA had a uh, virtual press conference about their plan a couple of days ago. Um, and it's really detailed. They d- have clearly done a lot of prep work. Um, so... The phase one, which is the return to campus, is beginning today. So this is the point at which um, student athletes may return to campus. Um, if this is kind of interesting, um, their mode of transportation to campus is going to determine whether or not they have to quarantine. If they're taking their personal vehicle to campus, they do not have to quarantine. But if they had to fly in um, from out of state, then they will have to quarantine for seven days, um, basically to determine whether or not they develop symptoms. Um, there's going to be a testing period and the phase two is the return to athletic performance, which is still in the future. Um, but for now, uh, guys are arriving back on campus. Um, pods, uh, will be 10, uh, players per pod. It looks like from the plan. Um, if anybody does get ill, there's going to be the traditional 14 day quarantine. Um, if anybody does test positive, um, UCLA actually had an interesting thing this past week. I'm sure a lot of people saw this out there, but um, the LA Times got hold of a demand letter uh, from UCLA players to the administration um, detailing just got, actually, I thought a few pretty reasonable demands about um, essentially wanting to be clear that their health was in their own hands. Um, their return was voluntary and that, um, they'd be able to get independent opinions on whether or not they should return and in what format. And then um, that their scholarships wouldn't be in jeopardy if they did find it was unsafe to return to campus. Um, and UCLA was actually in the process of figuring all of that out, um, or at least according to UCLA, they were. Um, but the letter got leaked and it caused a little bit of a hubbub um, on uh, the internet because the LA Times linked, leaked it with a um, little bit of added color about how the players didn't trust Chip Kelly's program, but I think a lot of people read it as the players don't trust Chip Kelly, um, which, look, were there maybe a, a, a disgruntled player or two who were saying that? Probably. But um, it does not seem to be the tenor of uh, many of those guys who who wrote or signed that letter. So in any case, um, that was kind of a, a big to-do, but uh, UCLA players are getting some more kind of rights built into their plan, too. So that's a good thing. Yeah, that was a 
there was a big thing on Twitter. I think I retweeted it from the uh, the Pac-12 account, and someone's like, "No, this was debunked." I was like, "Oh," or whatever. It was. Uh, I don't know if it was debunked. I think so. Here's my my learned take on the whole thing: is that like players have different feelings about it. I think they all want to have you know more protections and more rights. Um, could some re- people who are resentful of Chip Kelly have signed that letter? Sure. Could some people who are not that resentful of Chip Kelly have signed that letter? Sure. Um, I'm sure it was a mixed bag. So Dorian Thompson Robinson said, hey, don't blame coach for this. But whoever leaked that to the L.A. Times, maybe they were less on the don't blame coach side of it. So anyway. All right. Let's move on. Uh, We're continuing with the Pac-12 South. We have Arizona Wildcats. (laughs) Okay, so Arizona brought back 20 players every Monday starting last week. Uh, so weird. First, huh? <laughs> so weird. To just do it. Like, oh, we're going to bring 20 players at a time. First set of workouts will happen at Arizona Stadium, assuming the air quality is within acceptable parameters. If not, the workouts will move to the Davis Center. Groups will train at 6, 8, and 10 a.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and linemen are going first. We've got some good details there. After a wellness check, players will enter through Gate 8 and make their way to the field through the loading dock. Located in the northwest corner of the stadium, each will be assigned a workout station and a basket containing a towel, a water bottle, a Powerade, and hand sanitizer. Everyone's wear a fa- everyone is to wear a face covering at all times, including the athletes. Uh, that was another thing I saw, too, I think, with USC. There was, like, you're going to have individual stuff that's going to be cleaned. Um, so it's, like, your personal you know, equipment. Right. Uh, set up at the stadium puts the athletes 30 feet apart. Uh, there are seven stations in all. First group of 19 players. Most hailing from Tucson or having stayed here since the shutdown will be, will be divided into three clusters of seven, six, and six. They'll be accompanied by strength coaches and trainers who will also keep a safe physical distance. Uh, the, the main strength coach, Johnson, plans to monitor the workouts from either the stands or the midfield logo. And the uh, athletic director, Dave Heckey, claims no uh, positive cases yet. Uh, and uh, so Jason said he heard one, but nobody would confirm yeah i should say that as well ucla um didn't report any positive cases but i'm not i don't think they're going to be reporting yeah usc had not either we had heard of at least one also but we weren't able to you know no one's going to confirm that right now so we're not getting that from from usc either all right uh here is the next one arizona state sun devils I, I don't know if this is a typo, but it rules. Uh, ASU started involuntary workouts last Monday in groups of no more than nine with fewer than 27 players participating. And today's incorporating up to another 27. All have to pass COVID tests after a seven-day quarantine process upon arrival in Tempe. Nice. Uh, yeah, so that was our, our update from Cartman. Involuntary. Is, yes. Uh, the, I yeah. mean, in, in reality... I mean, this year of all years, they probably should be voluntary. But in reality, that's yeah. that's what they are. They're involuntary. So both Arizona and Arizona State are bringing people in in stages. So I don't know if that's a state thing, too. But um, yeah, Arizona's got to figure out a lot over there. There's a bunch of stuff going on. All right. Uh, we got two left. We'll go to the mountain schools. First up, Utah Utes. <laughs> Utah players are on campus for voluntary workouts. So uh, those that live in state arrived last week. Out-of-state players and incoming freshmen are will arrive later this week. So they don't have any information on the pods yet. There haven't been any cases reporting. And uh, 
our buddy Dan says, no real surprising news. Uh, the biggest thing is we're still awaiting the conclusion of the investigation into Morgan Scaly. We know a lot of the players went to bat for him, and we've heard he's likely to keep his job, but they haven't announced it yet. So we had talked about that before. You know, obviously the strength and conditioning coach is going to be heavily involved in uh, in all of this. So uh, that is still up in the air. But this is the defensive coordinator we're talking about with Morgan Scaly. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, Colorado. Should we do Colorado? Oh yeah. Sorry about that. I need the Colorado Buffalo. Those, Look, those it's the last are, one. You were bur- yeah, the, you were burned out. The grunts are great, and it's just uh, I was talking to some friends about going to Catalina when you see the the bison over there. Like, I love this one. I love it. I'm gonna play it again because I love it. Colorado buffalo. Yeah, it's almost like a mooing too in the background. Great. <laughs> Um, all right. A bulk of the team was already in Boulder in early June, and then the incoming freshmen arrived for the weekend of the 13th. Uh, they began voluntary workouts last Wednesday, June 17th. Um, one player and one member of the staff have tested positive. Um, nothing very notable out of the workouts yet. They're continuing to do all meetings virtually. So Colorado seems one of the more aggressive ones. I think both Colorado and Utah were sort of like right out of the gate. They wanted to kind of be there ready to go where players were kind of getting there early, like unofficially. And then once they were allowed to go, you were like kind of ready to get started where some of the other programs, especially the California schools are more like, okay, the first day we can, we'll start thinking about it, but we're not going to really bring everyone back yet. So, you know, we're seeing a varying degree of, uh, you know, readiness or whatever, or ability to get out there and do these workouts that, you know, depending on where you, which, which state you reside in the PAC 12. Yeah, and it looks like, I mean, if we're judging it on the scale of where the outbreak is most significant, Colorado is probably the Pac-12 state where things are uh, the closest thing to under control. Um, Oregon has fewer has um, fewer cases per day right now, or actually they just climbed past them. Uh, but Oregon's been kind of picking up a little bit more lately. Um, Colorado, they had a bad period at the beginning but they're down to like 160 cases a day um so they're they're doing a lot better um so it might might be part of that just their their state's doing better overall so they can be a little bit more aggressive yeah yeah maybe um any overall i know it's not like the topic you want to really talk no i mean i don't i don't love sinking my teeth into it but i mean in as much as you can responsibly try to do this thing, I think the schools are responsibly trying to do it in the Pac-12. Um, I think generally um, they're trying different tacks. I mean, the Arizona schools coming back and basically coming back in bigger pods um, is interesting. Uh, but everyone else seems to be following pretty similar um, structures. And we're just going to have to see how it plays out. I wish they would report um they're positive tests it doesn't sound like many of them are going to or are um i wish they would not you don't need to report the individuals who get it but the number uh just so that everyone kind of knows the score um because it's yeah. going to be a weird thing if you're not reporting anything through august then suddenly oh right yeah we can't play because you know we don't have half our team um so i would say just report as you go um and you know we'll will digest it as it comes. And I think the more important report number I would want to see is the, the, uh, antibody test, you know, like 
hey, we brought, so at, you know, say two weeks from now, most of the schools have everyone back. It's like you have 85 scholarship players or whatever it is back on campus. Um, yeah, three, play, three players tested positive. They're in quarantine, blah, blah, blah. But 35 players tested positive for the antibodies or 50 players or five players, whatever it is, that would be interesting to know if half the team has the antibodies already, then you're like, well, that could be a lot more interesting than just a couple do or none do. So I, I think those would be really interesting numbers to know about. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that would be uh, that would be good. And we'll see if we get that. I doubt we're going to get a whole ton of information, but it'd be great to get both. Okay. Well, why don't we take a quick break and we'll uh, come back and start answering some of your questions. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all right we're back here on the podcast of champions that was like a whole segment of just college football talk dave there was no but it wasn't like honestly it, it was talking covid we don't want that that's but that's all we got right now. Like we're, we're I know, like, but I don't want to. I don't want to talk the Rona. Yeah. I was thinking about like my like, uh, in as much as I had like talking about football, like you know, mental muscles, they're rusty, man. Like I'm like, wow, when can I finally get back to shit posting about football? Like bad UCLA football takes on Twitter. Like I don't want to keep having to tweet meaningful things. No, no, get me back to shit posting. Yeah, like I, I I did a little bit today where I I tweeted out my um I I wanted everyone to know my the broadcast uh is charting in Indonesia among mm-hmm. sports podcasts. I did see that eighty seventh eighty seventh on the Apple iTunes uh, sports podcast chart in Indonesia, and you know I want to tweet about that stuff. That's pretty impressive. About Rona. 
It's impressive. I want to talk about the Rona. Yeah. I want to talk about Indonesia and uh, and how we're big there. How, how we, the I mean. Po- yeah. How about the podcast of champions? Where are we on the Indonesian scale? I can't tell you. I didn't get an email about it, and I'm not about to look that up. Oh, okay. So it just seems like you know, whenever I promote like the the Peristyle podcast, you're like getting on me on Twitter about ahem, what about the POC? And there you go promoting the broadcast, not even referencing the POC. So it's... well, look, look, you want this thing to pro- to get big in Indonesia? You're gonna have to do a lot more work. All right, look, I can't carry, <laughs> I can't continue to carry this entire thing on my shoulders. In addition to all the other things I'm carrying on my shoulders, so. Yes. Unless you pick up the slack, we're never going to chart in Indonesia. Yeah. Okay, good job, by the way, getting uh, responses from every Pactful publisher in the network and having Thank them you. the show in Thank one you. day. Way to, way to go on that. I appreciate you uh, appreciating <laughs> me. And, you know, I, I just did, I came in at the end. You know, I did, sent those last couple of texts to make sure I could get everybody's response. But it, it came in under the wire. You were trying to make up for your lack of work earlier on, and I get it. Right. Uh, but... I noticed, and frankly, all the people out there noticed. <laughs> but I do thank all the uh, Pactful publishers for getting back to me. Like that's really sent. I sent out the email this morning, and everyone got back to me before uh, we started recording the show in the afternoon. So pretty impressive that they uh, all jumped on that, and uh, we we do appreciate that. Um, all right, we should probably jump into these questions. Do you want to? You want to start? You want yeah, to start? I'll start. I'll start with our man Paul from Utah. Okay. Movie series. Howdy doody, Ryan and Dave. Uh, Back to the Future is now on Netflix. Which is the best Back to the Future film? Mm. One, 1955. Marty helps his parents fall in love to assure conception of his future self. Two, 2015. Doc and Marty go to the future to save Marty's wuss kid from being arrested. And 1955 to save Hill Valley. Marty destroys the sports almanac which which Biff gives to his past self. And then three, 1885, Marty travels to the Wild West to save Doc from being shot by Buford Tannen over a matter of $80. I, I, I feel bad because I know I saw the first one. I like the first one, but I don't even remember seeing the second one or the third one. So I, I'm going to go with number one. But I, I think I've seen the second one, probably not the third one. Um, I've seen them all. Um, I haven't seen the second one in probably the longest time of the bunch. Um, but I remember not liking that one nearly as much. Um, so when I was a little kid, I really liked Back to the Future 3, which, um, you know, had the like Western feel to it. There were a lot of kind of jokes about Westerns. I remember liking it as a kid. But I've watched Back to the Future, the original, and that's just really good. It's a really good movie. Yeah. So I got to go with number one as a purist here. I think that's probably the best film of the three. I think if you're a little kid, number three, though, is probably your best bet. So you've got little kids. You want to introduce them to the franchise? Start with number three. All right. Okay. uh, Next up, we have, uh, of these, which is the best movie series? Alien, including Prometheus and Alien vs. Predator. Lord of the Rings, why not just recruit all the green ghosts in the first movie? Batman with uh, Christian Bale. Indiana Jones, my older brother used to try to rip out my heart with his bare hand. Luckily, it never worked. The Land Before Time, did you know there are only 14 Land Before Times? Uh, Or Lands Before Time? Big question. Uh, Harry Potter, wait, there is a previously unmentioned magical quirk that gets us out of our current predicament. How convenient. Toy Story, Dave is Mr. Potato Head, and Ryan is Slinky. Okay. 
All right, let's break these down one by one, and then we'll come to a ranking, okay? Okay. All right, so Alien, legitimately good movies in there are Alien 1, which is basically a horror movie set in space, right? Aliens is really Aliens, which is like the quintessential, like, space marine action movie. Yes. Um, Alien 3, not very good. Um, There's a bunch of other weird aliens in there somewhere. Um, Prometheus was flawed. Interesting, but flawed. I think I saw that like on a plane or something and it was like, yeah, it wasn't very good. Yeah. So I would say on balance, was there another one after Prometheus? Did they come out with a newer one even after that? He was saying like the alien, there was like a few aliens versus predators, right? Like there was some of those. Wasn't there something else that like just came out? Uh, Um, The third, was it the third one? Alien Covenant, Alien Covenant. Okay. Yeah, that one was. uh, I don't think I saw that. I saw it. It wasn't great. It was fine. Um, Okay, well. It, this isn't number one, so that's the most important thing. Okay. Uh, but they had some really good ones in there. Yeah. Like, I, I think, think Alien and the Aliens. First two, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be high because of the first two. You know. Right. Okay. Uh, Lord of the Rings. I So I was, I was a, a book reader here before Movie Watcher, um, and Lord of the Rings was one of my favorite books growing up. So I... I approached these movies from probably a poor angle where I was like really kind of pissed off at some of the like deviations from the books because those were among my favorite books ever. So I don't think I'm a, a good um, judge of these because everyone seems to really like the movies. Um, I thought uh, return of the King was tied up way too easily with the weird ghost army. um, And the way they did it, I thought was like, kind of just stupid looking. Um, I thought Two Towers, you know, the fact that they were retreating to Helm's Deep instead of going to meet the enemy there, I thought that was all stupid. Um, But did they get, like, 90% of it right on film, like, in a way that, like, I never thought they could even film that movie? Yeah. I mean, it it looks really cool. looks awesome, And they did some great stuff. So that's got to be pretty high up there. It just it wouldn't be my top in this in this list. Yeah, they're. I mean, they're pretty long, but um, I do like them. I think you know they were all. There, there wasn't like a clunker. I don't think, but yeah, you could argue how closely did they follow the books or some of the different you know plot deviations. But as a group, it's a strong group. Yeah. Um. All right, Batman with Christian Bale. So how many of those were there? Like I don't. There were three. So we're talking Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises. I think the dark, so the Dark Knight was the one where he gets put in that like pit of despair or whatever it is. Yeah, he gets he gets um, coincidentally thrown into a pit of despair with a broken back with a spinal surgeon. Okay. Yes. Uh, Remember, did, and then they fix his back, and then he climbs out of the pit. Yeah, which yeah. was like, but then yeah, that, that was Bane, right? I thought that yeah. was pretty good though. I mean, it was really stupid in a way the first <laughs> two movies weren't, um, but it was you know still kind of enjoyable in like a very. Again, kind of stupid way. Um, I liked Bane. Um, I, I still find myself doing the Tom the Tom Hardy Bane voice um, okay. from time to time. I think that's the thing that'll carry forward from that. 
Batman Begins and The Dark Knight are two legitimately really good movies. I actually prefer Batman Begins to The Dark Knight, even though The Dark Knight, I think, drew a lot of pub because of Heath Ledger's performance. Um, but Batman Begins is really, really good. Um, probably the best, like, origin story, uh, or one of the best origin story movies um, I can remember seeing. Uh, that one's up there because um, Dark Knight Rises wasn't so bad that it completely tarnished the other two. And the other two, I think, are, you know, pretty close to, uh, uh, you know, Pantheon level movies. The, the, the only issue I have is with the superhero ones, because there's so many there's like so many versions of Spider-Man. So many ver- like they kind of yeah. just get confused in my head. So, like, it's hard for me to say, like, oh, this group of Batman things were great when I'm like, wait, was that the one with you forget who was in what, you know, you think of. Uh, different you know actors that were in different ones but th- i do remember that one just because of the it was just like a darker kind of series yeah the, and the i don't know i could talk myself out of it too because it's also inspired all these like very stupid dark like hero movies it's like, right you don't need you don't need a dark version of superman buddy like you yeah. really don't um all right indiana jones uh my elder brother used to try to rip out my heart with his bare hand luckily it never worked <laughs> so i've recently re- revisited all of these um in the quarantine, I've actually been watching some movies. Um, so Raiders of the Last Ark is great. Fantastic movie. Um, would anything have changed if Indiana Jones hadn't been there and the Nazis just found the Ark and, and you know, opened it up and melted all their faces off? No. No. Nothing would have changed. That, but that came out of, uh, what was it, um, what was the show? The I, Like, that came up. Um Oh, Big Bang Theory. That's what yeah, like they, yeah, we the, were talking about it previously on the show. Yeah, the nerds loved it, and like the girlfriend pointed out, like he he was inconsequential to the movie. And you're like they're like they were so pissed. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, but you wouldn't have gotten that like fight scene with uh, him and the big guy with the plane, you know, rotating slowly. Like there were so many cool things in that, that was movie. Good. And the, the whip sword, scene. yeah, you know, the, so the guy good. with the sword, he just pulls out his gun yeah. and shoots him. Yeah, it's so, so good. good. All right, um, uh, Temple of Doom has some major flaws um again but that was one of them that was one of them that i really enjoyed as a little kid because like like going down the mine in the mine car that felt like a ride like that was the like first thing i watched it was like oh this is like that's looks like a roller coaster it looks like a lot of fun um so temple of doom flawed but good kids movie uh last crusade was like my favorite movie as a kid and frankly i watched it again like this movie holds up it rules i love this movie um and then kingdom of the crystal skull is uh an abomination yeah it's garbage absolute abomination um but for the first three this is up there um even with crystal skull kind of bring the whole thing down yeah this i mean this was like probably my favorite franchise as a kid this will likely be my number one um you know i just just loved you know i'm a little older than you so is the 80s like indiana jones um it was just yeah just how how everything worked it just created this genre and it was just so well done the first one and then you know i i liked a lot of the aspects of uh you know even you know the second one it was just you know the short round aspect of it and like you know freeing the kids but i like i still i watched that and they free all the the kids you know that were enslaved in the in the mines and stuff it's just like i know it's just like a feel-good thing for me so the, the bridge the bridge scenes like it's ah it's so good yeah yeah it's no. uh it's yeah, it's uh, it. I liked it. Um, yeah, but yeah, so I, it's still probably be my number one. But the Crystal Skull was terrible. Awful movie. Um, all right, The Land Before Time. I've only ever seen the first one. I don't um, even know what these are. Like, what are so these? So these are 
animated dinosaur movies um, about uh, basically the asteroid strike, and then they have to go find um, the Great Valley where there's food still and water. And so it's a kind of a classic tale of, uh, you know, the dino's mother dies and then he's got to make new friends and go off on a great journey to meet up with his grandparents um, in the Great Valley. That's the first movie. Um, It's delightful. It's like a little animated thing. I just don't know about any of the other ones. Yeah. So I can't really, I can't really, I don't still know. Uh, Harry Potter. Uh, he says, wait, there's a previously unmentioned magical quirk that gets us out of our current predicament. How convenient. Um, I've only seen the first two of these and I hated them. Oh, I hated these movies so bad. Um, so I never watched the other ones. I liked the books, read them all. I read them all like older too. Like I read them all as like a late teen and into my early twenties. So I enjoyed the books. Um, but the, uh, the movies I thought were, uh, stupid. Oh, uh, I did. I did read all the books as well. I got actually they're on my shelf right next to me. Um, and I, I liked the movies. Uh, you know, it wasn't like I, I disliked them. There was, you know, it's hard to put all of that stuff in the book, but I, what, uh, Paul is saying, because I have like this analytical brain that there sort of was like when she's writing all this stuff, it's kind of like this whimsical, like, well, we're going to pull this magic thing. Out. So something that, you know, happened in, in book five, like would have easily fixed everything in book, you know, things like that. Like there's going to be a lot of stuff like that, which that does kind of bother me. You know, they're like, I would rather them created like, here's the magic world. Here's what's real. And that's all you can use throughout the series and not like, well, we're going to come up with this special thing for this or what, you know, and to me, that's kind of like that knocks it down a little bit because there's the, you know, it's not like, I guess it's believability, but you're, you're talking about magic, but I I want the world of magic to exist in a certain world. Like that I know the parameters of, and here's what the constraints are, not just come up with something new the following week and and blah, blah, blah. So, um, I, I did like, I liked all the movies. There's fine. Like there would still be good for me, but, um, there were some, some issues like with that, like he mentions. Yeah. All right, and then uh, the final one is Toy Story. Um, so that's one through four. I think there were four. Um, I didn't ever see number four, um, but every one of those movies is great. I, I haven't seen the fourth one, but one, two, and three are all fantastic. Um, Toy Story 3, again, another animated movie that's made me cry in the movie theater. Not wow. great. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm... Whew. Especially in my advanced old age of like at that point twenty five and beyond, uh, the emotions get to you, man. I like one and two. I don't think I've seen three or four. Oh, um, three. Oh man, the last like twenty minutes of three. Oh boy. But those are just really well made. I mean, they're just really well done. From what they're I've seen, they're really too. good. They're really good. Uh, that's yeah. that's pretty close to the top for me. Um, okay, so let's rank them. All right, so I would say my top three in this group are probably, in some order, uh, Batman, Indiana Jones, and Toy Story. Okay. Uh, I might go Indiana Jones, Alien, and Toy Story. And I and that's not even seeing half the Toy Story movies, but just knowing how freaking good they are, like just the other ones, I would put that up there, so... I don't remember enough about the Batman stuff that I would be, you know, super attached to him. But 
I think I'm attached to, to Indiana Jones and Aliens and uh, you know I, I you know for the ones I saw I was attached to, to Toy Story too. Okay, I think we're both on board with Indiana Jones being number one here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Final question: What's going on with Utah's DC Morgan Scally? A is pronounced like apple, i.e. red delicious sucks. He has a lot of hype around him as the next head coach and has been touted as an extremely talented as extremely talented, even more so than Kyle Whittingham. Will he be reinstated? If so, what does his immediate and long term future look like as a coach, recruiter and face of an organization? So I've said well, it wrong. There... I said I was saying Scally, right? Scaly. OK. It's Scally, right? Scally. I think I said Scaly. Oh, got it. Okay. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I did. I, I, you know, now that you say it, it's like I have no idea. Um, so. I think our man Dan just said that uh, it looks like he will be reinstated um, from his uh, his recap of the COVID stuff. Yeah. Uh, we could only speculate about his immediate future. I don't think it will. If if it truly was the team going to bat for him that will cause his reinstatement, then I don't think his future as a coach changes a whole lot. I think there still might be recruiting ramifications. This might be an item. Certainly probably will be an item um, that other schools will use to negative recruit him. Um, but if his current players are still behind him, and I think it's notable if you like, look at, um, look at the way the players are behind Dabo Swinney, um, when he got into a little bit of hot water with his response to the protests, um, where they were really, really supportive of him. Um, the players seem to be really, really supportive of Scally here. Uh, and then contrast it with a guy like Gundy, who does not seem to be getting much support of any of his players. Um, I think that speaks to the people themselves. You know, it's whatever on the like all that kind of stuff. But if, you know, if your players are willing to go to bat for you, that probably speaks, a, you know, at least somewhat to your character. Um, so in this instance, um, maybe it won't affect him nearly as much as you would think um, something like that would because, um for whatever reason, it sounds like his players are on his side. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think, but it's funny. Gundy had a video with the player that called him out and they, but there's some people that just don't seem to get it as quickly. And they're, they're sort of forced into these apologies and stuff. And you just kind of look at it and you're like, I don't know how, I think there are people are doing out of necessity as opposed to like having some kind of epiphany. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. And I, I, I'm not even, I don't really even, the incident itself is kind of tangential. I just meant um, uh, the player support angle, because yeah. if you noticed, it wasn't just Chuba Hubbard who basically called him out. It was a bunch of current and former players who basically were like, yeah, there's the, the something needs to change here. Um, whereas when Dabo, you know, didn't have a good response to black lives matter, or at least not one that his players liked, and then they were still supportive of him. Yeah. Um, Scally here, used the slur in a text message like seven years ago and his players are supportive of him. Um, or again, this is according to Dan's reporting. Um, but he's saying that it's in part due to player support. So those that strikes me as notable. Um, if, if a coach in particular is not getting that kind of support from his players. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Hitler day. Uh, this is titled specific gravity. So that's like, Density divided by, like, if it's an object divided by density of water, or some, something like that. I don't remember exactly, but it's something along those lines. Uh, but you're comparing, it's like you're comparing things to, like, a, a general 
comparison a of constant? like water. Yeah, like a constant where water would be the constant, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, but I think that's what it is. The specific gravity of an object is the density of that object divided by the density of water. There you go. Bang. Okay. I think you nailed it. I, I, I didn't remember exactly, but it was something like that. I think uh, you nailed it. <laughs> uh, Athlon's preview magazine features anonymous quotes from opposing coaches sizing up each team in 2020. The entry about Washington's roster was interesting. Here's the relevant excerpt. So Jimmy Lake is opening up their recruiting, which is probably a good thing. If you look at Washington's personnel during the Chris Peterson time, their best team was that playoff roster where he had a mixture of his guys and Steve Sarkeesian's guys who had a harder edge to them, but it was his culture. The knock on Washington, and I think this is how Lake landed the job, was they became choir boys. They didn't play as mean. Lake wants to put, uh, put all that attitude back in there. First, do you boys buy that characterization, and do you think it explains the fall-off in performance since Washington's peak in 2016? Um, I guess I'll keep reading, then we'll answer it. For illustration, below is a chart with the percentage of Sarkeesian recruits on the two deep that took the field compared to how Washington, how well Washington performed that season. So he shows a chart starting in 2008, the shark, uh, the Sark quotient. Uh, so how many players were Sark players? So that obviously, you know, uh, increased steadily and the win rate. So when he first got there in 2008, there wasn't many Sark players, but the win rate rate went up because I guess they started at, uh, at, at 0 and 12. Uh, as they add more players, the win rate went up. Then it kind of settled uh, for a couple of years, bumped up a little bit, came back down. And then uh, when Peterson took over, the win rate started to go up as the players started to go uh, down. Um, I'm sorry, the players went up. Yeah, I don't know. The win rate came down kind of steadily, too. So Yeah, so so as the start, start quotient has come down, there was one year of uptick, and then it's, it went down. Um, the win rate went down a little bit steadily. Um, yeah. In any case, um, my I have two problems with that characterization. First, I'm skeptical of any general kind of ephemeral critique of toughness and that sort of crap. I just... I think it's nonsense and it generally speaks to some failure of coaching at some level, strength and conditioning, the schemes, whatever. Um, but I don't think that's generally uh, recruiting failing. And I'm skeptical, especially of critiques of recruiting that fly in the face of recruiting rankings. Um, generally speaking, recruiting rankings are correct. Um, and if there is a failure in maximizing talent, yes, on a one-off basis, there can be busts. But in large part, if there's a failure to maximize talent, it rests on the coaches. Um, Washington has had more and more talent each year, um, and their performance has suffered a little bit. I think you can speak to Chris Peterson maybe losing a little bit of the drive, uh, certainly as part of it. Um, I think you could maybe look at Jonathan Smith leaving as part of the drop-off as well. They haven't been able to figure that out, out that offense since. Um, I think there's a variety of different things you can point to, um, but I don't think this kind of just generic toughness. I think that's a talking point that a lot of coaches fall back on um, in this instance, this anonymous coach when they don't really know the answer and they know that a team played better at one point and now they're not playing as well. And he wants to provide an explanation for it. But um, 
that flies in the face of what we can actually measure statistically, which is recruiting rankings, stars, and uh, and that just it doesn't fit. Yeah, no, I would agree with you there. And I think there's a lot of different ways to win. Um, if you whatever your if you have a method, you have a philosophy, there's going to be strengths to it and there'll probably be some weaknesses. And, you know, the your predecessor might have had a different philosophy and one of your weaknesses happens to be one of their strengths. So there could be some overlap there, things like that. But um, no, I mean, I, I think Chris Peterson started to recruit better the longer he was there. It was more like the kind of guys to start, but then started to bring in more and more higher ranked guys. And uh, but yeah, the results weren't quite the same. Um, but I think some of that had to do, you know, when you just retire like that out of the blue, there was something was missing and, uh, we'll see what Jimmy Lake's able to do by hopefully keeping a lot of the great parts of the Chris Peterson culture, but also bringing in this kind of tenacity, um, that you're able to go in there, get some really good recruits, coach them up, make them tough, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, we'll see if that, if that works. I mean, we saw, you know, David Shaw really kind of keep that culture and it really helped that team for a long time. It's fallen off now, but he kept that going for a while. So I'm, I'm kind of optimistic that Jimmy Lake will be able to do the same sort of thing. Yeah, I agree. Second, looking at Washington's current 2021 commits, it reads to me as one a five-star legacy and eight mid-three stars who seem well-fitted for coral vestments. Do you think uh, the prediction that Lake would pursue Sark-type recruiting was wrong? Uh, I haven't looked at their, let me look at their commits. They just got a new one from a Will Latu athlete who's a four-star. Uh, yeah, Latu's a stud. Um, and they already had Sam Huard. Yeah, he. I mean, he's the legacy He's the five-star. But uh, Will Latu is a new commitment, I think, since he wrote this. Yeah. And these three stars are all like, you know, top, a lot of them are like top 500 kind of guys. They're not like. 1500 you know whatever so there's i think there's you know some highly ranked guys but it's also the weird it's like it's it's hard to say right now you're going to judge people on how you're recruiting um they're third in the pack 12 right now uh they're 42nd in the country it's you know i think if you're usc or ucla you have some advantages that there's just local kids that are really good that are in your backyard and if you if you can't go out and visit and they can't visit you you still have an advantage in there where it's a little harder at a place like Washington. Now they get, you know, their top two recruits are from the state of Washington. So that's, they're using that to their advantage of this COVID stuff. But I I wouldn't start judging him this early in the process because this is just a whole different recruiting cycle than, than we've ever seen before. Yeah. I think it's a weird year. Um, and it's, it's probably too soon to really draw any conclusions. Um, yeah, I think what you said is right. Uh, it looks like, Three of their current commits are from the state of Washington, uh, four from California. So, yeah, this is it's pretty local, but it always is at Washington. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I would probably take a longer look at this come, you know, December, see where we are then uh, yeah. to have any idea what this is going to look like, because just impossible to say if, if people can't visit the campus where this thing will end up. Yeah. And, I you know, so I don't think you can say sark type recruiting that's not going to happen i i just i think it's way too early to, to determine that but thanks hit the day for the uh question and sorry i didn't describe the chart great but that's uh it's a chart and it's a podcast so it doesn't really go together he loves sending us charts it's a beautiful <laughs> thing all right this is from our man thomas uh civil war journal uh-oh uh-oh 
Uh, hi, guys. I uh, just wanted to give you both some props for your entertaining historical tangents lately. While I know discussing U.S. presidents and famous battles isn't in the same echelon as recruiting, as you can imagine, some of us college football fans are big suckers for topics in history, geography, and other social science disciplines. What other sport, for example, cares so much about where the country players come from and how much seniority they have? Where in the country players come from and how much seniority they have? I can't help but wonder, though, if David was a fan of the show Civil War Journal on the A&D cable network as a kid. I loved it, especially the antebellum flavor of the music and visuals and watched every episode I could during my preteen years. Um, I don't I, I certainly watched it. I didn't watch a ton of it. Um, I was more I watched like Kent Burns's Civil War uh, when I was a kid. Loved that. And I was just a sucker for basically uh, all the Civil War stuff. Like I used to read um, just as a kid, I was reading like histories of different things. Like I think I read a, I read a, uh, a book about the first Minnesota regiment called, I think the last full measure when I was like 11, that was really cool. Um, but I was, I, I liked, I, I was a real nerd for it all. I would read like, uh, I read, uh, Battle Cry of Freedom, which was one of the which is one of the textbooks I actually had in history class in college. I read that when I was in high school just because I wanted to read about the Civil War. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't watch that, but I definitely uh, definitely consumed quite a bit of Civil War crap. Um, either way, I thought it intri intriguing a discussion of the McClellan's Peninsular campaign came up because of how much it gets overlooked when discussing the trajectory of the Civil War and, yes, college football. This is because, had McClellan succeeded, a Confederate surrender in 1862 would have likely preserved the institution of slavery, at least temporarily, but it also would have potentially allowed some Confederate states to rejoin the Union prior to the congressional elections in November of 1862. That would have diluted the power of the Radical Republicans and jeopardized funding for the Transcontinental Railroad. But more importantly, a Union victory in 1862 would have likely meant more land-grant colleges under the Morrill Act could have been built in the South. For example... Of the 14 schools in the SEC, this is going such an interesting direction. Yeah. Uh, for example, of the 14 schools in the SEC today, 11 actually originated as land-grant universities. In the Pac-12, meanwhile, only five were established under the Morrill Act. And this is despite the fact that some Western states had a 15-year head start because the South was ineligible to participate in the act during Reconstruction. This isn't to imply George McClellan is the father of college football or anything so grandiose, though. But I would suggest perhaps he always intended to withdraw on the peninsula and was just trying to buy the Unionists and Lincoln more time to create a political solution. And by doing that, it allowed the North to develop a national university system that became so large as to require multiple conferences and regional emphasis instead of one super league. What do you boys think? Was the proliferation of so many land-grant universities really the driving force of having so many regional conferences, or was it something else? Keep up the outstanding work, Ryan, lest Dave take all the credit. Thanks, wow. Wow. What a take. Um, OK, so first of all, there is an argument I've seen bandied about that um, the war needed to go a certain amount of time um, to actually get uh, slavery over and done with, um, because if it had ended in 1862 after a short war, there's a very good chance that it wouldn't the, the, the institution of slavery wouldn't have ended as quickly. Um, that it would have been phased out in some kind of uh, manner over a period of years or decades. Um, so, yeah, you could make that argument. As for the land-grant colleges, I got no idea, man. Yeah, That's a take. That is a fiery take, and I like it. Um, 
I, I would like to think that George McClellan had an interest in uh, college football, and that was behind his decision-making. Uh, but I, I, I think he was probably just uh, pusillanimous. Um, so, yeah. I mean, that was before college football even started, right? Like, isn't that was... Yeah, this was... Well, yeah, I think the first college football was like 1870s sometime. Yeah, like Rutgers and... Uh, yeah. Yale or something, or I don't know what it was. But the... Yeah, that it doesn't seem like that works, but isn't the Big Ten? I thought the Big Ten has a lot of land grant ones, too. He didn't mention the Big Ten, but I don't know, man. Yeah, uh, interesting take, Thomas. Uh, thanks, but I'm glad you liked our uh, Civil War talk. I need, I you know, so I'm kind of in a boring part of the Grant book, and I'm sort of been slow. I was really consuming the Civil War stuff and like the early presidency stuff. Now we're in like talking about you know, failed treaties with like the Dominican Republic. And it's just, I'm not really as into that right now. So I've kind of been slow going with it, but I do have another credit. So I need to get another, I need to download another book. So I, I might need some recommendations from the listeners. Yeah. Yeah. We should solicit some more. I think there might be one coming in our next email, maybe. Oh, let me look. No, okay. no. It was a tweet somewhere, I think. But anyway. Oh yeah, um, we did have, I think we did have a tweet. Um, yeah. You should get the uh, team of rivals, the Lincoln one. If you're really into uh, um, that era right now. Um, so it's that's called Team of Rivals. Team of Rivals. It's really okay. good. It goes through um, Lincoln and uh, a few members of his cabinet um, and how they were all rivals for the 1860 uh, primary um, before uh, Lincoln won. And then he brought them all into his cabinet. Oh, okay. They, uh, they kind of talked about that a little i think in the grant book or they just mentioned well maybe not but um i think they talked about that process a little bit but lincoln sort of like just became the front runner um all right so this is our last email pac 12 versus presidential trivia over under Ooh. Hi. yeah this could be good hi all hope all is well with you and glad to see that the podcast is thriving with rants about apples presidents and whatever else comes to mind in some downtime i put together a few pac 12 slash president presidential fact mashups for you all to guess the over under okay so i got 12 questions uh you will have the pac-12 stat in parentheses then you must guess whether the presidential stat is over or under the pac-12 stat pretty simple hopefully uh tip none of these are a push the answers are in a pdf file attached so i guess we could look should i pull that up now or do you want me to pull it up no 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 we got to do it first okay then so we'll we pull got, it up and then we, we have did. to remember like what we said um Okay, so we'll do that. Kevin Sumlin wins as Arizona's head coach. That is nine. Versus number of presidents who owned slaves. Okay, so we've got Washington. We've got Jefferson. We've got Madison and Monroe, probably, right? You said Grant did. Grant did. For You've like got pre- Andrew Jackson, who I'm pretty sure did. There's Andrew Johnson a- did. There's probably at least a couple others in the interview. I'm saying over. I'm saying over. I'm saying presidents over. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, so we're. I'm sorry. Oh, no, are you going to look? You go. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, that's okay. Let's let's take one at a time. You go next. All right. All right. Uh, Jaden Daniels passing touchdowns in 2019, 17. Number of states that seceded from the union after Lincoln was elected. Uh, Jaden Daniels over. Yeah, I would say over for that because it can't be. I don't think. Yeah, it was I, eleven yeah, states. It was, it was 11, eleven. Okay, yeah. so I would have guessed that. So for Cal, the Cal Bowl appearances since 2011, 
verse the number of known children that John Tyler had. (laughs) (laughs) I I gotta guess under, but I mean, oh no, John Tyler definitely had more kids. No way, really? I think so. He wouldn't. He wouldn't be asking if it wasn't true. Unless he just put like a ridiculously high number. Okay, it's John Tyler over over eleven. Wow. Okay. Um, very Sean Kemp of him. Okay, let's see. Oh, you're next. All right, Colorado all-time bull wins 12 versus number of non-Democrat or Republican presidents. Okay, so <sighs> there, this is where it gets tricky because there are Democratic Republicans who are neither Democrats nor Republicans before uh, the split. How, how many some, like Whig ones were there? You've got some Whigs in there. Um, you've got Federalist... Okay, so all of the early presidents were not. Um, right. So you're talking Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, Quincy Adams, Jackson. Jackson was, I believe, a Democratic-Republican. I can't remember if he was an actual Democrat by that point. But then you start getting Democrats soon thereafter. Yeah. But you also have a couple With of Whigs. Yeah. I think I'm going to go... No, the non-Democrat or Republican presidents. Over. I'm going to go all-time bull wins. Okay. I'll say the 12 is just over. I think it's probably 10 or 11 non-Democratic or Republican presidents. All right. Uh, Oregon. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Is it me or you? I can't remember. No, it, just, just go. 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 Just go. You read it. Oregon total <laughs> total yards per game in 2019, 441.5. Okay, so 441.5 versus... Most ever electoral college votes received for a president during a single election. Uh, I'm going to go most ever electoral college votes received for a president during a single election. Probably like Reagan or something. Yeah, or? Reagan. One of those years, he I think he only lost like two states or something. Yeah, it, it might have just been Minnesota. So I'll I'll agree with you there. Yeah. Um, because he went against Mondale. I think Mondale won his home state, and that was it. Yep. Uh, Johnson Jonathan Smith losses as Oregon State head coach, 17. Versus number of presidents to be elected to two or more terms. Oh, man. I don't think there's been... 17 seems like a lot. No? I'm going to say number of presidents to be elected is is bigger. That's the over. I might go under. Okay. Um, But there's been 45. Mm -hmm. I guess, yeah. Is that like half of them had two terms? There was well, a long also... stretch, though, that didn't have, like, two terms, right? Like, before Grant, there was, like, a pretty long stretch, I think, that no one was going two terms. Yeah, but it's been kind of a standard for a while now. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Okay, like, well, well, we'll see what... Yeah. I'll just, okay. I'm just guessing it's going to be under. All right, you All know right. this time. Toby Gerhardt, total rushing touchdowns at Stanford, 44, versus total days that William Henry Harrison was president. Uh, that'll be under on I think Henry Harrison as president. It was only a couple of weeks, right, or something? It was like something really short. Yeah. Uh, it was like a month. It was like 30 days, I think. Okay. Um, all right, you do the next one. UCLA Yards versus Washington State in 2019, 657. Versus the number of acres Thomas Jefferson purchased in the Louisiana Purchase in millions. So, example, okay. 250 million would be under uh, 
He says it's kind of confusing trying to make it work. So that so basically, did he purchase more or less than six hundred fifty-seven million acres in the Louisiana Purchase? I think it was more. It's I like that this is a big number. He had to find a big number. I think I'm going to go more too. I thought it was in like the 700s or something or 700 million. Yeah, but... I can't I can't really remember, but that's a big part of the country, so I'll go more. Okay. All right, uh, Keaton Slovis passing yards in 2019, 3,502 versus number of executive <laughs> orders issued by FDR while in office. Oh, wow. Okay, so you got four terms, right? You got he four did. terms. The last he, one, pretty abbreviated. Right. He did so, like, all that New Deal stuff, right? There was, like, a ton of executive orders, I thought. Okay, so 3,500 divided by, like, 356 days in a year. He was president for 12-ish years, 13 years, call it. So we're talking about an executive order, like, a day. Yeah. Uh, how many were – so, obviously, World War II, there was a crap load. The New Deal stuff. Uh, I really I have no idea, but wartime president probably does a lot. So I'll go over. I'll, FDR? Go, I'll, I'll go over with you, too. I mean, that's a big, big number, but I'll go over with you. Yeah, it, that's one of those ones that could be like significantly over. You're like, oh, that was like 7000. You're like, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. All right. Uh, Utah, Kyle Whittingham, career losses, 64 uh, highest average percentage of approval rating for a president while in office average approval i think that's probably over i think there's probably a president who's been more popular than that yeah but i think there is like would like a john f kennedy have had like a higher rating reagan Reagan was pretty highly approved for much of his tenure and even in the end when it started to go down a little bit um i don't know that it would have slipped that far okay I'll go with you over on that, too. Uh, Washington, we got to go. Jake Browning, career passing yards, 12,296. That's a lot. First, number of Native Americans forced to relocate during Andrew Jackson Jackson's trail of tears. Ooh. I'm going to go the, with the over on Native Americans? Yeah, I, I would go that, too. Yep. Washington State bowl game wins since 1997. Uh, versus the number of presidents who died in office. Okay. Um, we've got Harrison. We've got Lincoln. Lincoln. We've got uh, McKinley. Uh, we've got FDR. We've got Kennedy. Who am I missing? Um, i trying to think who else. There was somebody else who died in the 1800s, and I'm trying to pinpoint the name. Tyler? D- did he die in office? No, no, no. He, no wait, did he? No, he didn't. I don't think Maybe he did. Taylor. Maybe Taylor? Did Taylor die in office? I think anyway, I think it's under. I think it's six, not seven. Okay. I'll go with you there. I just can't stop recall. Um, and then I'll keep up the great work. Stay safe. Let's go Mountaineers. Garrett from the second most Western Virginia, West Virginia. All right. So the answers. Um, so the number of presidents who owned slaves was indeed over Kevin Sumlin's wins at Arizona. It was 12. Washington, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, Jackson, Van Buren, Henry Harrison, Tyler, Polk, Taylor, Johnson, and Grant. 
Okay. Uh, we, we got a bunch of those. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the passing touchdowns of Jaden Daniels versus number of states. That was indeed under 11 states seceded. South Carolina, Mississippi, Florida, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, Texas, Virginia, Arkansas, North Carolina, and Tennessee. Um, and then Cal Bull appearances since 2011. Number of known children. That is indeed over. John Tyler had 15 kids. Jeez. 15 kids. He should have died. Yeah, if he didn't. Yeah, die. man, he was probably killed by them. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, Colorado all-time bull wins 12. Number of non-Democrat or Republican presidents under 11. Oh, so did I think you say I got under this and I said over. Or? I think I, I think I got this one. Okay. So that's George Washington, who was a Federalist, John Adams, Federalist, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, and Quincy Adams, all Democratic Republicans, uh, Henry Harrison, Tyler, Taylor, and Fillmore are all Whig, and then Andrew Johnson was a Union Party man. Oh, I didn't realize that. I thought he was a Democrat. Okay. Um, Oregon's total yards per game, 441.5, versus most ever electoral uh, votes received for a president during a single election is 525 over... Because uh, Ronald Reagan had 525 versus Mondale's 13, which we, we nailed. nailed. We nailed that. that we even got the guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jonathan Smith losses as Oregon State head coach versus number of presidents to be elected in two or more terms. 21, so over. Uh, so that's Washington, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, Jackson, Lincoln, Grant, Cleveland, McKinley, Roosevelt, Wilson, Coolidge, Roosevelt, Truman, Eisenhower, LBJ, Nixon, Reagan, Clinton, Bush, Obama. Wow. Okay. And then, yeah, Stanford. Toby Gerhardt total rushing touchdowns at Stanford forty-four versus total days that William Henry Harrison was president thirty-two. So that was under. Yeah, you had you had that exactly right. It was like thirty-two. You said it was a month, so that you were yeah. right there. Uh, UCLA yards versus Washington State six hundred and fifty-seven. Number of acres Thomas Jefferson purchased in the Louisiana Purchase five hundred and thirty million. So that was under. We got that wrong. Oh well. That's my first wrong one. My first wrong. All right. Uh, Keaton Slovis passing yards in 2019, 35.02. Number of executive orders passed by FDR while in office, 3,728 over. We got that. Damn, FDR. Uh, most infamous Asian American internment executive order. Oh, way, way to bring us down. You mentioned that one. You know, like, Great geez. shame. Uh, Utah, Kyle Whittingham career losses, 64. Highest average pres- percentage of approval rating for a president while in office, 70% for JFK. Ryan nailed it. I nailed Over. that one. Over. I like it. Uh, Washington, uh, Jag- Jake Browning's career passing yards, 12,296. Versus the number of Native Americans forced to relocate due to Andrew Jackson's Trail of Tears, 60,000. <laughs> That'll be an over. We thought that was, yeah, we got that another, one. Another shame. Washington State bowl game wins since 1997. Number of presidents who died in office, eight over. Oh, yeah, I missed a couple. All right, so the one Garfield. I was thinking of in the 1800s was actually James Garfield. Um, and then Warren Harding is the other one. And Zach Taylor. Wait, who did I say then that was not correct? Because I had six, I thought. Um... No, maybe I only had five. I think he had five. And then we were talking about Tyler Taylor. or Taylor. Yeah. yeah. I think we said no on Taylor. I think we said no on Taylor. Okay. Yes on Tyler. Got it. So we had one of the Taylor Tylers, but then it was um, Garfield and Harding that we missed on. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's not the end of the world. It was a great. Uh, that was a great question. That was a great, great thing to do. 
And the good thing is we only had like four questions today. So the fact that three of them were like super long and involved, it wasn't too bad, you know? Yeah, it was beautiful. Um, Just Uh, remember, everyone, time your questions for when we don't have anything else to talk about. It'll be easy for you. (laughs) Literally, I think. Yeah, the questions took like half the show up. Like we're at the hour and a half mark. There was really only four of them. So it was like four questions and it took like 45 minutes to answer them. So good stuff. (laughs) Awesome. Well, anything else, Dave? Are we we good? I think I'm good. I think I'm all set. I think I'm all squared away. I think I've got everything buttoned up. I think we do. So thanks so much for the questions. We do appreciate that. And uh, we had, I think we had a good mix today. We obviously it wasn't football, football it was COVID football, but we got to give you an update of if you're curious about what every program is doing, if you're an Arizona state fan, you wanted to know what the Wildcats were doing, or if the Beavs wanted to know what the ducks were doing, hopefully you got a better idea from all that. So thanks for all the publishers out there for getting back to us uh, or me and uh, <laughs> what was going on. And thanks for David just being there. You know, it's like, it's, it's good. He, he rolls with the punches. No matter how much work I put in, he's just ready to roll whatever I say. So it's good. It's so true. It's so true. <laughs> All right. That's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of champions. And we will talk to you next time. Bye. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.